Welcome to Daily Dose Danny. This is episode 16. If you like this podcast, please follow us. You can also check us out on Instagram and Facebook and join our community. Also, if you sign up to our website, we'll be sending monthly freebies to help you with your startup digital marketing. Today, I'm talking with Siggy. As we all know, fitness and mental well-being have been some of the focus topics during 2020 and now 2021, as we have shifted on wanting to have a more balanced and healthy lifestyle. So today, I'm talking with Ziggy, as mentioned, a mom, a wife, and a pre-postnatal fitness trainer based here in Hong Kong. She is an influencer and a co-host of the number one ranked parenting podcast. Let's hear more about her journey into building her passion into a business. Hi there, Ziggy, and thanks for joining me on the show. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. I, like you said, I am a pre and postnatal certified coach, and that happened after the birth of my first son. I previously was in the fitness industry. Um, my background's actually in psychology. I did my undergrad in psychology and then got really into fitness. And my coach at the time just said, why don't you get qualified and start working at the gym for a free gym membership? <laughs> good payoff <laughs> That's for that. always a good perk. <laughs> yeah. And um, that's kind of where it went. I worked sort of in the bodybuilding, aesthetic, transformation type sphere, had my first child and you know, the experience of having a baby, going through pregnancy, going through postpartum was really shocking to me, actually. I didn't expect it to be as difficult as it was. And I experienced some postnatal depression. And I basically just started sharing my mental health and fitness journey on Instagram and started building a community of mums in person doing mummy baby classes, uh, then became certified in pre and postnatal fitness. And it's what I've been doing for the last four years exclusively, just working with mothers, um, women with fertility issues, pregnant women. And it's something I'm extremely passionate about. And everything today in my life kind of revolves around mums and kids, um, health, fitness, well-being. That's amazing. It's great that you were able to take your own experience and utilize it sort of to help other people and create a positive journey through what you went through. Yeah. And I really didn't think it was going to grow into what it's become now. You know, when I first started on Instagram, it was just my friends and family, you know, it was about a thousand people following. And then within the four years, that's, you know, become 11,000. So it's, it's great. That's <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. But I think that the topics you're talking about a lot of things like that, that people don't really talk about that because a lot of women go through difficulty through pregnancy, but we always only see the glowy moms and the, the happy moms. And it's like, I don't think people really talk enough about the difficulties that come along with pregnancy as well. And like, I think women obviously need that support system. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so funny, because motherhood is such a unique journey to the individual, but so many people like if we think about it, none of us would have been here, unless, you know, we had someone carrying us or raising us. So I should really talk about parenting, like parenting is such a a unique journey to everyone, but we have all these common themes that run through. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm personally not a parent, but um <laughs> I follow your Instagram and and for sure I I love my mom for carrying me and my brother so much. It couldn't have been an easy task. <laughs> yeah, it's given me mad respect for my mom as well at her resilience and her patience for dealing with me and my sister, especially through the teen years. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> I'm always saying sorry for it. I was like, "Thanks for dealing with me through my teenage phase." Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Awesome. So tell me, how are you balancing being a mom entrepreneur? Um, and how do you stay balanced and focused? I think that's the that's the lifelong journey, isn't it? Trying to stay balanced and focused. There's something that happens to your brain when you become a mother where the kids really do become the main priority and it might not be the way for a lot of other women. It is for me, but my kids are always at the forefront of my mind and being a mom entrepreneur really, I again, fell into it. It was fitness and people said that you could make this a business. You can sell online programs or you can, you know, coach people in a group setting and make money from it. And I always kind of believed that I think fitness should be available for everyone. It should be, I don't really believe in charging a ridiculous amount. However, I do believe that you should charge what is your worth. And that's kind of why I like group class settings for mothers, because it is a community where they can all talk and share and you don't have to charge as much per person so you can still make the same amount of money give the same amount of energy and um, reach more people the fantastic thing about covid was that everything well the horrible thing about covid was that we couldn't gather so those group classes couldn't happen the fantastic thing about it was that everything went online and so so many more um online platforms became available to share so youtube everyone is now a youtuber everyone is now an influencer everyone is <laughs> putting out all this amazing content and it's given me the opportunity to connect with more people it also gave me a year to do further study And so I've been working a lot more with life coaching. I've gotten a lot of experience being coached by other people and sort of the next phase of my business of ZigFit Mama, if you'd like to call it, is um, that I want to start helping women who don't just really want to focus on their bodies and their physical health, but their mental health, their emotional health, their spiritual health. And that's kind of where my business is going to. And it's hard to balance for sure. Sometimes it feels like there's not enough time in the day. Um, But I work in person with people in a gym. Gyms are currently shut. So most of, again, my personal training has gone online. And how I balance it is that I really dedicate the time with my kids. So every morning, I do some learning with my son. We don't do online learning. I just do homeschool stuff with him. He's only four. So it's stuff that I can teach him at the moment. If this was high school level, I don't think I'd be able to achieve it. (laughs) And then I spend that dedicated time with my kids. I go to work three times a week and I just spend those dedicated hours focused on work on the days that I am not in work, physical work. 
Um, those are the hours that I can allocate for editing our podcast or interviewing people for our podcast, the mom body soul podcast and, um, or to the other stuff like washing my hair for a bit longer or making the time to make a really nice meal for the family. I'm not perfect at balance. I'm definitely trying to always find what works best for the family unit because it's not just me that has to focus on my day. I'm constantly managing like three or four other people's days as well, you know, in our family. Yeah. And like you said before, like finding a balance is an ongoing journey that we all try to to strive for, but not always perfected easily. So it's an ongoing struggle to to try and find balance. Yeah, it's a real journey. And I think that's kind of, no one wants to be the extremes of emotion. I remember after my, my second child was born, I would just go straight to rage and anger. And there was kind of no in between. I was like, totally fine, or just really, really mad. And that was hormonal, for sure. But living through that, and then trying to parent through that when you can't leave the house at the start of COVID, that really showed to me that something on a deeper level, it must be off. Like if I can't, balance my emotions easily. And a lot of what I've done this year is really look at what are my triggers? And I think a lot of people have done this with COVID to be fair is because you're left with yourself at the end of the day. If you can't leave the house, you can't go see your family. You can't, you know, we're left with ourselves. And that's why so many people have spent this time to journal or to read books or, you know, or to just vegetate and not be so busy, busy, busy because we can't be, um, addicted to that busyness, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people that I've spoken to this year through the podcast um, and in general have like pursued hobbies or passions or started a side business that they love more. I think people have become more focused on the things that they care about. And like you say, they've had to learn to just be alone as well. So it's been such a beautiful personal journey for a lot of people. So even though it's been a tough year, it's also been a beautiful year in a way to see how people have grown in themselves and sort of just connected and, and been a bit more quiet and, and done a lot more self-care this year or the past yeah, year. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also all the small side businesses that are coming out and seeing that our community is rallying together to support local businesses so they can stay afloat. I think that's been absolutely amazing. Yeah, exactly. I think it's so beautiful. Like everyone's so much more supportive. Everyone, because everyone's going through the same thing the last year. It's not like people were going through separate struggles. It's like we are all going through the same struggle. So I feel like people have been pulling together a lot more. So many more communities are popping up, so many more startups. So it's great to see how people are being innovative and creative during this time. Definitely. And there was something I'd heard a long time ago about, you know, nothing is new. No knowledge is new. Like it's, it's all one knowledge. It's all one collective. Yes, someone might discover something, but it was always there sort of in the background. We just needed to discover it and then you have to share it. So it's like we wouldn't know how light bulbs, well, I don't know how a light bulb works, but we wouldn't know about electricity <laughs> until someone discovered it and shared that knowledge. So there's nothing, sometimes I feel like with social media, and even with business or within the motherhood community, or sometimes even with women, like we get scared that someone's going to take something we have, but actually the greatest gift we have is to share that knowledge with someone and to lift someone else up and to educate someone else so that they can go and educate someone else and lift them up, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of like paying it forward. 
Oh, 100%. I agree so much with that. I feel like the more you give, the more you get back as well. And the more you sort of grow into your tribe and the people that are in alignment with what it is you're trying to do or encouraging. So I feel like the more you end up giving, the more you get back as well. So I think a lot of brands are, are starting to figure that out too this year. It's like it's about building that community, about giving resources, about being understanding on people's current situations and adapting and being sort of supportive as a business and a brand. So it's been really yeah. good to see business transforming um, and, and individuals transforming so much over the last year. Yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah. So let's go back to how this all started for you and what made you pursue your passion into being an influencer, fitness, health, and wellness coach. So like I said, at university, I was basically just, um, I was studying to become a psychologist. I wanted to be a therapist and um, I was at the gym all the time because I, it was very classic. I'd gained a lot of weight at university. I had a bad breakup. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to get really attractive and pour all my energy into being attractive. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so I was at the gym all the time, but I was at a CrossFit gym and that was actually the first time in my life where I realized that um, being the most attractive wasn't actually the goal. Having really good performance goals was the goal. So lifting um, for the first time in my life. So learning how to lift well and lift heavy. And basically, I was just astounded by what my body could do when I put my mind to it. And I put a bit of effort in and there was a transformation that I would see in people when they would come through the gym. Um, you know, being total novice to then being one of those people helping educate someone else. It was really amazing. Flash forward to I had done a bit of traveling after my um, university degree and I was offered a job in Hong Kong where I grew up, where I'm from. And that was in a sort of transformation style aesthetic bodybuilding gym. And it was a really good learning opportunity, but not necessarily something that aligned with my values. I feel very uncomfortable giving people their calories and macros and telling them that this is the solution to their problem. Scientifically, yes, like if you put less calories in and, you know, exercise more calories out, you will lose weight, but it's just not sustainable and normal human beings don't function that way. And I don't think that women emotionally function very well towards food that way. And then having a baby really letting all of that food shame, body shame go, um, and then becoming a pre and postnatal trainer. It's just, it's transformed the way I think about health and wellness and what we demonstrate to our children and the people around us about what health and wellness is. So I think the biggest journey for me and what still is, is walking the talk. So sometimes I'll have a negative thought about my postpartum body, about my stretch marks or my skin, or maybe I don't fit into my clothes the same way I used to. All I've ever done since having my son was sharing it on social media, but always trying to spin it with a bit of a positive light at the end, you know, with a bit of gratitude. Um, but honoring the way that I'm feeling. And sometimes that goes into parenting and sometimes that goes into whatever latest thing I'm doing, whether that's aerial yoga or 
I don't know, hiking, whatever it is, and then sharing that on social media. And the influencing, I really just fell into it. It started off with people offering me um, clothing to wear in my workout videos. I used to work out with my son because I was a stay-at-home mom. And I was really just trying to find the time to get exercise in when I didn't have childcare and gyms in Hong Kong don't have crushes, that type of thing. And so I would, it started off like that. And then I was offered collaborations to put on group classes with certain brands related to parenting, baby wear, et cetera. So I have had the amazing opportunity you know, to work with a bunch of different brands related to fitness, baby wear, health, wellness, beauty, and got the opportunity to put on events with these brands, collaborations, giveaways, and it's just really grown from there. I remember saying to a friend on a hike at some point, I think it would be really cool to get paid for this someday. And that has happened. I'm not going to lie. It has happened. Um, and yeah, I think people think being an influencer is more than it's cracked up to be, in all honesty. I think there are very few influencers who can live entirely off an Instagram or YouTube income. You've got to be, you've got to have a really large following with really good engagement. And I think that Instagram as a platform is kind of making it harder for influencers to be seen which then makes it sort of this kind of chasing of the dream, chasing influencing, chasing engagement. And I never really got into it for that reason. I I got into this space, you know, and used Instagram as my platform to just share my voice and everything. That's awesome. Other so than that so has tell been me, what were some of the favorite brands you've worked with in the past that really resonated with sort of your vision and passion that you were just like, this totally aligns with who you are. I really like a lot of the clean beauty and clean product brands. So one of my favorites is Luna Naturals. They are plastic-free period care for women. You can use <laughs> code Ziggy Luna for 15% off your period products if you want them. But if you're based in Hong Kong, they've actually just launched in Watson. So what I love about them is that they're making – they've created a product for women by women and they're now getting into the mainstream it's not just this small tiny little startup anymore it's actually they've produced something that resonates with so many people that it's gone into the mainstream I love a whole bunch of different brands you know who are dedicated to sustainability especially a lot of the yoga wear brands and they're trying to repurpose fabrics so that they're not creating more waste they're putting in smaller orders so that their their collections are more sustainable and they don't have a lot of leftover product they're also making sizes that actually fit a whole array of bodies and are using real bodies in their marketing Got Those it. types yeah. of I brands really align inclusivity with my values. Is so important. Um, I was speaking with another podcast guest and she's all about body positivity. And it was really interesting um, to talk with her and also like highlight some of her favorite brands or people out there that are really pushing body positivity in different shapes and being more inclusive. Definitely. 
Definitely. And working in the fitness industry, you kind of just see one body or people are trying to strive for one specific physique. And that's not the way our bodies work. You know, we're even classified as like endomorph, endomorph, ectomorph, and things like that, which talks about your bone structure, talks about your levers being different sizes. So how can a person this size, you know, femur bone be able to do the same things as this person or look the same way or move the same way? So I'm really glad that brands are starting to take notice that this is what people want. And a lot of the time, it's these small startups, creative people with a passion. You're like, I'm creating the gap that exactly. I see. I'm I think that's also that why, gap. again, like people are starting these creative products or businesses because they see the gap in the market. They see the lack in inclusivity um, and, and brands that really or startups that focus on that um, just end up growing because there is a gap in the market. There is a need for that. I remember having a discussion with my husband once about, I think it was Nike had put a fit model that was a larger size on. And he, he said to me, I don't understand why they've done that. And for me, that was really shocking. But he's always been a young, fit, healthy man. And I said, well, imagine wanting to go to the gym, but not having clothes that fit you to go to the gym. So it just puts you off going to the gym entirely. I'm really grateful that brands have started making bigger sizes. So those bigger sizes feel comfortable stepping into a gym floor, feeling confident, feeling pretty, feeling sexy, feeling strong without having to wear like daggy joggers. I I agree. I think who, who would you say are some of your favorite brands that you think are doing inclusivity well? You know, I'm going to name the big one, which is Nike. I think they've done a really good job. That's one of the big mainstream brands. I think their price point is really good. And I think they do appeal to a mass market. I, in terms of Hong Kong smaller brands, I am a big fan of, um, they do produce less pieces, but again, startups, um, gosh, I'm going to say their name wrong. Could you Siva spell that? Active. <laughs> Siva, Siva Active. I like Okay. S-I-V-A, active. I really like Omberry. Um, I really like Good Days Activewear. A lot of these brands are using recycled materials to create their um, gym wear. And I know that has its uh, implications for the environment because recycled plastic bottles, recycled polyester, those do leach microplastics back into the earth, uh, into the water. So with sustainability, it's kind of like this catch-22 of you're trying to do really well, but sometimes there's another pollutant elsewhere. So I don't think it's 100% perfect, but I think they're trying, which is a big, I was speaking with BYO Active. Um, I don't know if you know them, but it's one of the female startups here in Hong Kong. And we were talking about sort of how she was looking into sustainable materials and stuff, but it felt so different, like it wasn't as soft. So I know people are trying, but 
I know that a lot of development still needs to be done in the sustainable um, sort of fashion industry, especially if it's on smaller scale and not mass production for it to be affordable. Um, so I know people are trying. Exactly. And this is the thing, the bigger brands have the budget, exactly. but they're so, not But I, at the least if people it. are considering packaging or, or even smaller um, sort of solutions are still, you know, helping every, every small step helps. So for sure. So you know yeah, that my podcast absolutely. is mainly obviously to help motivate other women to start their business or sort of share your own personal journey or things that you've learned along the way. So what were some of the challenges to turning your passion into a business and what have you learned along the way? So me personally, I have a very creative mind and it can go off on a tangent. Sometimes it's like a balloon and I have all these fantastic ideas and I let the balloon go, but I have nothing holding it down. And for me, one of the biggest challenges is grounding and anchoring myself and dedicating it and making it happen. (laughs) Add in that I've had a couple of kids and my brain doesn't work the same way anymore. All of these passion projects that I start can sometimes just end up turning into nothing. So the best piece of advice I could give someone or a suggestion, I say, maybe don't take my advice, but a suggestion is to treat your passion project like a job. So, and don't feel guilty about it because it's not going to make money initially. One of the biggest arguments I get into with my husband all the time is he says, you start all these things and then they don't make any money. And it's because I don't dedicate the hours to making that one little thing my everything. You know, I tend to be like this jack of all trades and a master of none. But the ones that do stick, the ones that stay consistent have always been successful. So the personal training, the group classes, um, they, they've been successful because they stick. And I show up and I do the stuff and then they work. The creative stuff on the side maybe, you know, doesn't happen yeah. is because I don't put the effort into it. I think that a lot of people are starters. 100%. And I actually read a good quote the finishes. other day. It was something about like a lot of people have great ideas, but very few actually do it because it's all about consistency and putting in the energy and seeing it through. Because I think a lot of us forget to be patient with ourselves and with our ideas and it won't just happen overnight. And I think that's one of the hardest. Yeah. And I think it's our generation. Yeah. The millennials. What's the next one after us? Gen Z. They're, we're not very patient. We've kind of been brought up in exactly. hyper-stimulating environments. Exactly. So I <laughs> think make that's, us not that's patient. one of the best things that this podcast has helped me with is a lot of the stories that have been shared on here, it's the same sort of feedback. It's like I should be more patient with myself. Like it is a little seed and you have to watch it grow very slowly and you need that patience um, and you need the community. And I think that's what really is being reiterated with every episode or every guest Um, and it's just nice to hear that because we often forget to be more patient and actually just be consistent with our ideas totally and I think a lot of people like the look of influencer life KOL life the KOL turnkey opinion leader that they use in Asia but 
a lot of the time people don't want to scroll down an Instagram feed and just see an ad after an ad after an ad. They want some authenticity. So I think that's kind of what sets me apart maybe from other other Instagrams or other influencers in the Hong Kong sphere is like my Instagram. At one point, I was getting paid to do a lot of promotion and I was scrolling through and I was like, oh, I hate seeing images of me like with a product in my hand and smiling. It feels so inauthentic. And I just kind of put my foot down at one point and said, okay, I'm no longer just taking whatever comes. I'm really only going to work with brands that have these values, whether it's, you know, related to sustainability or it's, you know, a product that cares about, you know, my child's development and I'm going to stick to my guns and only work with those types of people and really speak to them. Sometimes someone will come with you with a brief of this is what we need. This is what we want for the posting. This is what you have to say. And at that point, I just go, no, thanks. That's not me. I will create the content that I want that actually aligns with what I do in my daily life. I will use your product before I post about it. And I don't, this may seem shocking, I don't get paid for every single post. A lot of the time it is product exchange. And then if I really like the product, I agree. I'll post like about I've it. worked with so many brands before where I just try to help them manage expectations and be like, well, let's try to respect the influences that we're working with and see how they want to creatively sort of share on their page. But a lot of brands try to control that relationship, forgetting that it's a partnership, not sort of, um, you know, not a contract where they can just tell the influencers what to do. So I always try to remind them that it's sort of a give and take. And the more um, try to relationship you build with the influencer and the more they enjoy your product, the more authentic the actual relationship will be. And a lot of brands forget that sometimes. Absolutely. I think as well in Hong Kong, the the local market versus the expat market can be very different in terms of what they like to see um, or what the audience likes to see. And, and so when I've dealt with more Chinese um, style products or branding, it's it doesn't always match up because they are very um, bullet point. This is what we need. This is what you're going to say. This is what we need to see. And that's why I really like working with startups because even though they might not have a budget for me to post something, I'm like, let me try the product. Let me see if I would recommend this to someone. We can work something out because I love, I don't get me wrong. I love free stuff. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I think a lot of startups um, often ask me like, how do we start working with influencers? Like how much should we budget for? And honestly, like product seeding can be a big benefit, especially if it's a startup and they find like lower tier or mid tier KOL to work with. So I feel like, you know, a lot of people are always scared to, to tap into that. But if, Again, like you said, if you love the product, if it's really in alignment with you, um, free products are great. Um, I think payments and stuff come in when it's a product that don't align with you, but then the brand shouldn't be working with you in the first place. Totally. I think 
people don't realize until they, I think COVID made people realize how much influencers put into the content they create because it's, um, it is time consuming. So it's a, it is an energy exchange. If someone's going to produce lots of content, like good quality content, spend all that time editing it, they really should be, um, not necessarily paid for their work, but there should be an exchange that's appropriate. So I sometimes say if it's a product exchange and I'm putting my rates out there, but I'll say it needs the product exchange needs to be equal to this amount. Like this is, this needs to be the value so that I know that you're actually giving something of the same amount of value for the exactly. amount that I'm going to yeah, be producing. It's, it's a give and take relationship. Um, it's very important. I think for brands to understand the effort and the work that goes into it. And and again, your audience should appreciate what you're posting, not be like, oh, that's such a typical ad. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, um, sure. next question, how has your life been during COVID? How have you had to adjust and adapt and change your work life and thrive under the current restrictions of COVID here in Hong Kong? For one, I think that the Hong Kong has had a very low amount of cases considering how close we were to the epicenter of the outbreak. So although the restrictions can be really, really annoying and tiresome, and we're all a bit over it, <laughs> the good thing is we have a very large population and the percentage of people who've... Um, got the virus, brought the virus in, died, et cetera, hasn't been as bad as some other countries who haven't taken it as seriously or haven't had the same kinds of precautions that we've had. Having said all of that, I gave birth to my second child at the start of COVID and the the life that I had imagined and had planned and the schedule I had planned for my, you know, older one going off to daycare in the morning and me being able to spend all this time cultivating new business whilst my baby slept, you know, it didn't happen. And um, the biggest learning lesson I had was to keep it simple and give everyone a little bit of grace because everyone had to pivot. I hate that word. I've said it so much, but everyone had to pivot and try and adapt. And the ones that didn't adapt fast enough, you know, fell by the wayside I never thought that I would be so enthusiastic about homeschooling my child rather than sending them off to someone else for three hours, but I had to pivot and adapt and really lean into what skills that I had on a personal, like more spiritual therapeutic note. I ended up doing a lot of inner child healing and inner child work at the start of the year because I was just parenting and screaming all the time at my kids and realized that somewhere down the line, like my inner child hadn't been parented. And I really recommend everyone to go do this work because, you know, there's a certain point in our life where our, our emotional stuff and our emotional baggage isn't really our adult stuff. It's our childhood stuff. And, you know, 2020 was a really great year to, for me to work a lot of that stuff out to a be a better human being, be a better parent, but also be a better coach for everyone around me. And 
I don't necessarily think that we're thriving under the current restrictions. You know, I work in the fitness industry. My husband works in the fitness industry. We both work at gyms. Uh, He works for a chain of gyms and we've had, it's coming up to like 20 weeks of closures. I feel really bad for the people who used to use the government facilities because they've basically been closed for a whole year. And the fact that they probably couldn't provide for their families and had to switch into totally different careers like that for me, I'm just like, go you, you know, loads of people lost their jobs this year. So I, (laughs) I, I have no idea how we're still standing, how we're still paying rent, you know, but it's happened. A lot of things went online and I'm just grateful that clients and people still wanted what we had to offer, you know, still wanted what I had to offer, still wanted to um, have training, pay for online classes at the same rate or slightly cheaper, you know, wanted me to continue personal training, were comfortable enough to go outside and do these things, to wear a mask while they're working out. You know, I'm just, I'm really floored by everyone's grit and perseverance um, and everyone else's adaptability. Sometimes I have these giant stresses where I just panic about everything. And then other times I'm completely <laughs> chilled out and I'm like, we're doing great. I think great. it helps to have a positive <laughs> outlook on this year. And, yeah. and like you said, people are super flexible and adaptable and supportive um, as we're all going through similar struggles. So I know we already yeah, talked a bit about absolutely. being an influencer or KOL. Um, I often talk to to brands and businesses who want to work with influencers but don't know where to start or what to offer and how to go about it. Could you tell us from an influencer's perspective or KOL what you think? I think it's fantastic when people just reach out directly and tell me a little bit about their brand and their story and why they want to work with me and what they had in mind. Um, This year I started using um, like an interim person. I don't want to call her my agent. She's just like, (laughs) I send any, any inquiries, basically I send them straight to her um, and just ask that person to send her an email with a breakdown of what they'd like. I'm CC'd into everything. So I see everything, but more often than not, most people for whatever reason, whether it's forgetfulness, laziness, or maybe I wasn't the influencer they wanted to really work with. I was just a name on a list. They don't always end up sending an email, you know, but I guarantee you everyone that sends an email gets a really lovely negotiation on what I have to offer and what, you know, what they have to offer. So I think having a little bit of a human connection to whatever the product or brand is, having a little backstory makes the most sense. I really personally, rather than getting paid for single posts, I really love affiliate codes. I do. And I think that they work really well for consumers as well because the consumer always gets a discount whenever they use that code. And so, yes, you make less money in the the grand scheme of things, but it feels more authentic to me and the way that I kind of like to go about paid collaboration. I mean, but don't get me wrong. If it is a big name brand and they're offering me something really nice and they've got a really nice <laughs> of budget. Of course you yeah, should I'm be paid your worth money. as you said previously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, that answers for sure. For does sure. that answer your question? Um, that's everything I've always been saying as well is, is be authentic, tell them a bit more about you. And then sort of that's the best way to reach out is, is be more personal. Don't make it feel like a robot's messaging. 
Yeah, as well, because people will ask me about certain certain products. And a lot of the time, I will say, look, I don't work for this brand. I can't answer those questions. You need to direct your questions over here. But they're like, well, why do you use it if you don't know this information, that information, this information? And so for me, that makes me feel like I'm really connected to the brand or the product and that I want to be representing them the best way possible, too. So the more information they can give me um, and make me love their product I as feel like well, all the better. The influencers that I've had to work with in the past, like I would always try to schedule a, a video call and talk them over the brand and sort of try to educate them on the brand and the product so that when people do ask them questions, they are informed and they know what to say. Um, so, so that briefing session can be quite useful as well, I think, to, to understand who you're working with and, and also get to try the product. So, um, you're able to give more educated, um, feedback to anyone that asks something about it. Cool. So, um, being an influencer, would you want to share sort of what rates or what brands can expect to, to pay or, or how they would love to work with you, what can they expect and how can they best approach you? How do you like to be briefed when working with brands and projects? So I have a media kit that I created sort of last year and I sent it to a friend of mine who works in marketing and she was like, Ziggy, you're charging way too low because I didn't know what was worth for a post. And I think that's always a really good thing if you're going into this. You can send it to a friend who works in the industry or now there's like auto-generated ones. The fantastic thing about Hong Kong is that we are such a small community and such a small market that I think we can charge a little bit higher because you know you're going to reach a target audience that's right there. Whereas if I was in the States or something like that where it's bigger, there's a bigger pool of fish to choose from in terms of influencers, it might be a little different. So I, I kind of treat it as if I was doing a PT session or something like that. I usually say, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I usually say that I would like, if it's a product exchange, something around the 1500 mark. Um, and then if we're talking about paid posts, I kind of do it like a package. Like you would get an unboxing story plus, um, you know, what it is for this many feed posts versus um, if you wanted really good video edited content. If we're going to use a professional photographer, the price always doubles because I'm going to pay the photographer or the videographer the exact amount of money that, you know, I want to get paid. So it kind of changes, but it can be anywhere. And then it also depends, I guess, on how long you want this campaign to go. If you just want like a single post or you want a long lasting relationship, we can talk about doing something for three months or six months or have it continual. Because then again, that feels more authentic that I get to use this product for longer. Um, and that can be anywhere, I guess, from like, $1,500 up to like $10,000, depending on the amount of content you need. Sometimes I've been asked to um, feature in products or brands like in a professional setting and they're unpaid gigs. And with that, I, I treat it as if it's a personal training session. It's an hour of my time. It's half an hour away from my kids. It's, you know, I live out in the middle of nowhere. So we need to consider travel time. Like, are you paying for my Uber? These kinds of things, because if if 
in the beginning, maybe you, you do want to go for these opportunities just to get your face and name out there. But after a certain while, like we have to think of value for money and value for time because time really is all we have. Like at the end of the day, it's the hours in the day we have. And so if I'm spending six hours away from my kids or spending six hours not in a gym getting paid clients, it needs to equate that much more. And I think I can say these things because I have worked in like a client facing industry where we do charge per hour. And um, when I wasn't, you know, working for myself, it would be, um, you know, you'd earn commission. So our time was quantifiable and it needs to be the same thing when it comes to um, brand deals. It's the time. It's all the effort that happens outside of that one post that you see on the exactly I couldn't have said it better I think time is all we have so that's why the end of the day you need to be conscious on who you're giving your time to and does it align with you as a person yeah and if you'd asked me that question like two years ago I'd be like I've never been paid for anything like everything is product exchange I'm just happy to be here you know like a puppy dog I'm really just happy to be here and be yeah it's, uh, I think with age comes wisdom and experience as well <laughs> you learn you learn where you're willing to to give time and where yeah you and- not and, and and be more authentic Yeah, totally. And I've had that instance where I've agreed to something and they wanted so much and it was for very little. And the whole time I was just, you know, clawing my way through it. Like, let's just get to the end of it. Yeah, I I was speaking to one of my podcast guests (laughs) and I know her personally as well. And she has her own business here in Hong Kong. And she was working with a really difficult client. And I was like, if it stresses you out that much, is it worth the money? Like, why don't you just let her go? Just tell her nicely, You're, you guys are clearly not a good match. You'd rather her be happy and you be happy um, because it's your time. And like, if it's going to stress her out that much, she's not really going to be in a good mood for all her other clients either. So, and then and she eventually let her go and, a... and she was so much more relaxed. So. Yeah. But I think this is also a slightly female thing where we haven't been brought up to and I'm just speaking for myself, but I wasn't necessarily brought up to stand up for myself in that way or hold my boundaries so tight. It was to um, appease everybody else and like nod and smile. Yep. I totally understand what you're saying. (laughs) I feel like maybe that is a female thing. (laughs) It could be because when my husband who has a sum total of like 500 followers has had people message him about stuff, he's like, this is how much. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not building a relationship. What are you doing? You've got to be nice. He was like, I don't have time to play nice. I've got a day job. Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, my partner often tells me, Danny, it's business. Don't feel guilty. And I was like, but I'm a woman. I feel bad. Like I want to be, you know, I want to be considerate. And so I, I do sometimes have to try to take my emotions a bit out of things. Totally. Um, yeah. So I get that struggle. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another question. So as you mentioned earlier, everything's gone digital this year. A lot of companies have actually struggled to make that online shift um, to to sort of adjust to the new norm and the market needs. How did you end up shifting everything online and adjusting your business to the to the market needs, or were you already online prior to COVID starting and and the market shift? 
prior to COVID, I wasn't really online in terms of teaching. I was thinking maybe I'll create more YouTube content. But I was finding that it was really difficult for me to set aside the time so that I could edit all of this content and then time my day because I have small children and we couldn't leave the house so that I could have the living room free to film, etc. So I ended up teaching a lot of online classes on Zoom and using online fitness platforms to um, sell my training programs. I don't necessarily do that now because things have sort of shifted back into one-to-one. I still teach online to some extent, but not as much as before. And that was actually not that painful. It was, you know, for the fitness industry, it was a good thing. And we learned what people are willing to pay for online. And also that not everyone will go online because there is so much free content. So it was about making the price worth it enough that people would want to pay for that rather than go to YouTube or a free IGTV live. And the other thing was also valuing my worth so that I wanted to get in front of a camera for 45 minutes every day. And, you know, so I think... For me personally, it wasn't too difficult. If we're talking about other businesses, you know, like the education sector had to really pull their thumbs out and try and adapt classroom learning to online and yeah, and still, you know, asking parents to pay the same amount, like that is a struggle that I really, I really feel for them. Yeah, I think for some industries, it was definitely a lot of investment to shift everything online and definitely a process. But like you say, I think for the fitness industry, it was halfway there already. Um, so, but interesting, you mentioned it was sort of you needed to figure out the, the right price yeah. point to get customers to to keep joining you online. How did you go about figuring out the price point that worked best for your customers? So I always work backwards. So it's like, how much do I want to work in the hour? And then how many people do I need to get? And then what did they need to be paying? And then what can I offer that's better than what's out there already? So for me, what I'm offering that's better than what's out there already is my expertise and my personality. I'm selling me because the information and the workouts that I'm doing, you could probably go to any YouTube channel that was pre and postnatal, but the difference is me. And then basically keeping that price point based on what I wanted to earn per hour. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to go about it. Yeah. I, I know uh, I've been talking to a few fitness um, startups and stuff like that. And, and I think the general thing for startups is figuring out what to charge for their business or service or product um, to stay competitive um, yet also you know, make a profit or, or make it worth their time. So um, talking about figuring out the right price point is always um, an interesting topic for different industries. And the thing is with technology, apps, fitness platforms, et cetera, you have to be ahead 
your technology, you know, if you have bugs, you have to fix it straight away because there are so many out there and you usually don't make your money back within the first five years. So it has to be constantly evolving and changing. So you have to have a team that's really passionate. I've worked for apps previously who didn't pay their talent money down. And we were waiting for the app to be developed and and then have the sales off people purchasing our programs. And it just didn't work because we would invest so much energy, time recording all of this stuff and then get no money in return because we were waiting um, for the app to be launched. And then sometimes it never got launched. Sometimes it did. And then sometimes it wasn't a success. Yeah, I guess that's the risk of working with startups. Your um, totally you know, <laughs> could either be a great success or never really launch, and um, it was a bit of a waste of time. Well, never really. I guess you could always use the content somewhere else as well. Yeah, and I think the the learning part of it is that I've learned. You know, for me personally, I want the money down in order to start programming, in order to know that I'm going to block out three days of my week, etc. Whereas for someone who's starting out in the influencer world, it's a fantastic opportunity to learn how to be in front of a camera, to work with a film crew, to work with a marketing team. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's also at the end of the day, like um, if you want to learn more about certain industries or be a part of a project, it's always a good way to sort of start out um, until you get to a level like where you are now, where you can be a bit more picky on who you work with and, and make sure it aligns more with your values. Yeah, my husband, my husband, you know, he got paid for his first, he's not an influencer, but he just knows his worth. And he, he knows that his, I laugh because for me, it's taken years of figuring this out. And for him, he gets offered something once and it's a yes or no for him. That's amazing. <laughs> Maybe I should talk to your husband for yeah. the next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Negotiating skills and yeah. tactics. <laughs> I think it's also having the confidence to just walk away and be okay with saying that opportunity isn't for me. Yeah. Whereas I think I have a bit of a scarcity thing sometimes where I'm like, this one, I must say yes. I must say yes. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Awesome. So coming from a non-mom's perspective, I have seen how having a baby can change a woman's body. Um, and I've always wondered how moms have time to work, have kids, um, and, and deal with everything and also sort of stay in shape. Um, could you tell me sort of what's your advice or, or how, how you go about staying fit and, and staying balanced? You know, if I didn't work at a gym, I probably wouldn't work out every day, in all honesty. It is. <laughs> Especially with this year. It just feels sometimes like fitness has been at the back of my mind. And, you know, I think from the outside, sometimes it can look like people are managing their lives really well, but it all also depends on like what we value as individuals. And if we talk about what the, you know, the WHO says we should be doing, it's 30 minutes of exercise every day. And so 30 minutes of exercise could be I'm going to do like a 10-minute HIIT workout while my child is playing in the corner over there. And then I'm going to do 10 minutes of cleaning my house and laundry and all of that. And then it could be 10 minutes if I'm just going to do some meditation. I don't know. In all honesty, we're all trying to do the juggle. And what's really important 
um, a quote I heard recently from a guest on our podcast was motherhood is not a competition. Life is not a competition, you know, and the only person that we're having to compete against our is ourselves and our, the voices in our head. So in the early postpartum, I would say everything is just about getting to baseline. You've given birth, your body is massively depleted. It's about good nutrition, good hydration, moving well so that we're not aggravating, you know, any abdominal separation, pelvic floor issues, et cetera. And then further down the line, when the most common thing is I don't fit into my clothes again. I don't feel good in my body. I feel like my body's changed. My stomach isn't what it was. I've got stretch marks, et cetera. A is, again, moving well, moving regularly. And this is where you can start employing people's help if you don't have the motivation to do it yourself. Like personal trainers are not just there to take your money. They're there to help you achieve your goals. Well, a good one anyways. Or fitness classes, when we can gather again, it would be awesome. You know, go to that class because that's your 45 minutes to 60 minutes of like sweating it out, smiling, suffering along with other people, enjoying a workout, whatever it is. That's your time. Treat it as your time. And then the last thing is also mindset. If I look at my body every day in the mirror and be like, I don't like this, I don't like that, I'm never going to like it. It's the same thing as, have you seen that thing where they have two plants next to each other and all day, all the kids are saying negative things to this one plant. And then all day, they're saying positive things to another plant. The negative comment plant just withers and dies and the positive plant grows and flourishes. It's the same thing with us, except we're not plants. That's so true. Um, I, I was speaking to, to one other guest and she was talking about how to just overcome your inner critic um, and, and that's all it really is, is if you're able to feed yourself the positive motivation you need, also obviously surrounding yourself with the right circle of people that um, supports you and gives you positive feedback. Um, I think that that really just helps you flourish in itself. Totally. And also hanging around with people who can just hold space and listen, because sometimes these thoughts, when we finally have the chance to say them out loud, they've been building up over so much time and I don't want someone to fix my problem or to valid or not validate but like push aside how I'm feeling with a with a toxic positive comment of like well at least or think about this or you know sometimes we do just need to hold space and be like yeah I hear you and that's tough and it's rough to feel that way and I hope you don't feel that way soon Thank you so much, Ziggy, for joining us on the podcast and sharing your story as a mom entrepreneur and a KOL. If you want to reach out to Ziggy and partner up with her or just find out more about her fitness and wellness programs, I will link all her information in the podcast details. So please subscribe or leave us a review if you enjoyed the show. And also remember to join us either on Facebook or Instagram so you can get daily or weekly updates on how to better create digital marketing for your startup business. Also, please note that we have lots of freebies that we send out in our monthly newsletter. So go ahead and subscribe and we'll be sharing you monthly updates on how to streamline your startup biz communication and social media planning. Thanks for listening.